0: This is Daniel Haydn for Preparing Kids for Life at PK4L.com. And our podcast is for all things parenting. This is now day 45 of our 365-day journey with you. My wife and I, we are we are just so passionate about helping parents reclaim their rightful place as the number one expert on their own kids. And so our podcast focuses on time-tested principles any parent can learn and apply to build an emotionally safe home and to help their children thrive. So we talk about every parent's most basic fears because these used to be our fears as well. Things like, I don't have what it takes to be a good parent, or I'm not qualified, or I'm going to mess my kids up. You know, as parents, we will do anything to help our kids. And since our ceiling is actually our children's floor, we owe it to them to always be learning and growing. So, for 365 days, you've been invited into our experiment. We're committed to walking alongside your journey as your personal outfitters, guides, and allies every day, every step of the way. So, we've been talking about a lot of things of late. And one of the things that I, I talked about, if you Podcast ago was um, was foster care and the foster care system and how just so much so much pain and anguish um, that's that's in the lives of kids and it just shows the profound necessity of of being empathetic and engaged with our kids of being able to be very intentional in in the way that we engage with our kids and one of the things that I think comes against, that that fights against engagement um, is technology. And I just want to say at the outset, I am not anti-technology. I love technology as a tool. I use technology as a tool. Um, I, I think it has great value in that way. But it's also a little silly to pretend like, oh, there's no problems. Oh, technology is always good in every case, in every situation, for every person all the time, right? There are very real drawbacks that have to be taken into consideration, that have to be looked at and explored if we're going to have a complete conversation about it. And one of the things that I, I think is... um. Is that I, I just say again, I'm not anti-technology, but I'm very much pro-engagement. I'm very much pro-conversation uh, when it comes to our children. And so, one of the things that has really puzzled me, and what sort of set this off, was I was just I was profoundly bothered by, um, as I am with all of the shootings, but just the, the most the most recent one in in Poway, California. I'm not know if I'm seeing there Poway or Poway. California, uh, that happened at a Jewish synagogue. And, and I just, I started thinking, I mean, what, what explains this extreme behavior that seems to be increasingly common? And I say seems to be because I think to some extent one can make the case that our 24 seven media culture allows us unprecedented access to local and international events, literally the moment they happen. And so social media and iPhones have sort of turned um, people into citizen journalists recording the world around them. And oftentimes it's very easy to make things seem more common than they actually are. But irregardless, we're talking about the tragic loss of human life. So whether it's amplified overly or not, it doesn't matter. There's still real human beings that are dying. And I think irrespective of that, something is amiss. Something is going horribly wrong in the way that our, our children are being taught. One of the things that I've noticed over the years is that genuine empathy and compassion are are quickly fading away, and it's replaced by this kind of weird self-righteous virtue signaling whose kind of smug foul outrage seems forever focused on a new moving target, but there isn't a genuine empathy and compassion for people. And again, this doesn't mean that we shouldn't call things out when they're wrong. I'm just simply saying that we, we seem to have, somewhere along the way, stopped giving one another the benefit of the doubt. We've stopped trying to put ourselves in someone else's shoes, not as a way of excusing what they did, but as a way of explaining it. And so I think, you know, when when this shooting happened at the Jewish synagogue, it's it just it brought to mind the fact that look, the mass killings of strangers is not a normal act for a human being. I mean, even the most hardened criminals, this is not a normal act. We're simply not programmed for emotionless indiscriminate killing unless unless we cease to view other people as human and when we say human we really mean made in the image of god that's what that's the thing that that gives us our our true value our true meaning our true dignity is the fact that a loving god created us male and female in his image it's an amazing thing and it's interesting too because when, when you start to view people as less than human, this is exactly what happened in the Holocaust. Remember, the Holocaust happened in arguably the most highly educated industrialized nation in the world, Germany. It's also how a 19-year-old from San Diego could walk into a synagogue with a single goal in mind, simply to kill other human beings. And I'm gonna suggest, and. Again, I'm I'm free to be wrong here, but I'm just I'm I'm going to suggest that the underlying cause of these sorts of things is a form of social isolation. This is a situation where human beings are increasingly isolated from one another. They they don't because of that isolation, they don't really extend a lot of compassion or empathy to one another. They don't give one another benefit of the doubt. And, and essentially, at some point, they kind of become a nameless, faceless entity, that not even really a human being. And you, know, you can look in today's society, and, and there's a number of different kinds of examples of this social isolation that I'm talking about. I mean, these examples are pretty readily apparent. Now, some of them could probably be considered relatively harmless. You know, for example, you have a a digital customer support or kiosks that we have for ordering everything from fast food to groceries to medications. But there are other examples that are clearly more sinister. You know, when children prefer online gaming with strangers to team sports or just playing with friends, there's something amiss. And the cumulative effect of this social isolation is basically a growing detachment from other people. And as evidenced in this recent shooting and others, that detachment from other people can prove exceedingly deadly. Now, many of us are fortunate to, to find and join social groups at at work or school or church, and and that that helps to keep us socially grounded. But increasingly, many of our fellow human beings do not. In fact, just think about this statistics for a minute. 40% of US couples now meet online. I'm not down on that. I know that there's been many wonderful relationships that have come from that, but at the same time, there's a there's like this layer of detachment that's happening and and what's happening is more and more people are starting to turn to the internet for their sense of worth and belonging and even creating a, a personal identity they call it an avatar and you're essentially even able to create your own little being online however you want you're sort of you're sort of in some ways your own God where you just get to create whatever you want yourself to be. And so it's in this anonymous cyber village that that hatred can become less a joke than a conviction. It can become a process of radicalization that's encouraged along the way by all these faceless friends on the other side of the digital connection who are similarly detached from the real faces that they mock and attack. And so, I was reading a story about this, and when the San Diego Killer announced his murderous plan to his digital, quote unquote, community, instead of reporting him or dissuading him or trying to prevent him from doing it, those on the message board actually urged him to, quote, get the high score, which was a sickening slang for trying to get the highest number of victims. See, this, is, this, this cyber community is his new family. And this was their form of twisted love. And as disturbing as that may be, this phenomenon is only going to worsen as cultural and social institutions are increasingly belittled and undermined. You know, one of the things that I've talked about in previous podcasts is how much much abuse, in, in some senses, is heaped on the family. And parents, and so the nuclear family and the social support it provides is is under near constant assault, as are religious institutions, and that's evidenced by church membership at an all time low. Now, there are there are other reasons for that. I think there's things that uh, in the church, um, people are aren't really seeing an authentic, true love of God. It's it's more or less people are reacting against what I'll call churchianity, you know, where churchianity has has three main tenets um churchianity is is uh, the gospel of sin management the gospel of behavior modification and the gospel of just try harderism that's probably a topic for another podcast but when people see that i'm going to suggest to you they're they're rejecting a a false inauthentic relationship with god and so anyways that that's a murkier water but the the point is is that in general terms in general terms you you see this sorority and fraternity life, which again I'm not. I mean, you know, most of that is is learning how to construct beer bongs. But but there is a, a social connection to it. Uh, there is a bond there. But but even that at colleges is swiftly becoming a relic of the past, as they increasingly clash with the politically corrupt campus movement that that basically declares any group activity that encourages bonding based on common ideals is is discriminatory, or something. Um, Robert Putnam wrote a book a number of years ago called Bowling Alone that actually speaks into this. It's a fascinating book, and in it, he just talks about how these these communities, these organizations like bowling leagues, for example, uh, used to give people uh, a center of common ground. You know, it didn't matter what political party you you belonged to, you could argue back and forth, but. You bowl a couple frames, you drink a couple beers, and everybody parts as friends. You still walk away thinking, well, eh, I don't agree with this, but you know what? They're a good guy, or eh, they're a good gal. You know, it's like there's a, there's a friendliness there. There's a benefit of the doubt that's extended to the other. You know, and then, and then you even have, you have laws that are debated and enacted and then glorified, like the two recent ones in New York and Virginia, according to which newborn babies can now be left to die after being born alive after an attempted abortion. I mean, clearly, that is a debasement of life and value, and the value of life. It's just, it's stunning. And yet, still, in such a depraved environment, we somehow manage to seem surprised when an internet junkie does in real life what he and his faceless friends practice daily on their laptop computers. It's just kind of a, a weird disconnect. And the, the irony, the irony in all this, is that even with thousands upon thousands of cyber friends, we are lonelier than ever. According to a new survey of 20,000 Americans sponsored by the Cigna Health Insurance Company, loneliness is at epidemic proportions. And again, Technology, social media, whatever, it's like any other tool. It all depends on how you use it. If, if you're using, for example, Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, Twitter, whatever, just similar social media apps, right? To, to stay in touch with your friends, to forge offline connections, that can actually add vitality and communion to your life. But if you're spending hours every day using social media mainly as a substitute for real, authentic connection, then your feelings of loneliness and inadequacy are only going to get worse. Furthermore, when, when we're sort of viewing all of these curated snapshots of other people's lives, oftentimes it, it makes social media consumers feeling as if everyone else has a better life than they do. Everyone else is smarter. Everyone else is funnier. Everyone else is more interesting. Everyone else has more friends, you know? And again, um, if you've ever seen the, the new version of Jumanji with The Rock, you know, the, the opening sequence has this very vain, self-consumed girl in it, and she she's taking like 50, seemingly like 500 pictures of herself you know, just trying desperately to look casual. And then that's exactly what she posts on Instagram. Oh, just woke up, you know, here I am. And then, and of course, everybody just sees that one picture. They don't realize that it took her 500 takes to get that picture, right? It's kind of like when we we look at the Olympics and we see, say, for example, Usain Bolt crossing the finish line in the 100 meter dash in world record time and we're in awe, it's amazing. But what we don't see was the four years of gut wrenching, back, breaking, sweat, blood and tears that it took to get to that moment. right? It's very you know, social media has a way of kind of skipping all of the, the preview stuff and just jumping right into the, right into to the results, or, or whatever it is. And so the impulse to believe that everyone is smarter, funnier, more interesting, more friends, etc. the impulse to believe that is even stronger when you combine that with low self-esteem. And of course, we are in a low self-esteem epidemic, largely because of the fake self-esteem epidemic that we've sort of foisted on kids, where we've told them, hey, even though this is totally crappy work, it's awesome. And the problem with that is, Kids know that. They're, they're actually pretty smart. And so kids take that in and they say, oh, so you think this total garbage work is actually really good. Well, if you believe that, then you're an idiot and I have no respect for you. Or if you look at this total garbage work and you're telling me it's, it's awesome, but you know it's not, then you're a liar, in which case I don't trust you. There, there's no benefit to giving people some reward they have not earned because they know they did not earn it and they feel nothing but guilt. They don't take a sense of accomplishment in something that they haven't earned. And so we're actually seeing you, you, you combine this, this loneliness and social isol- isolation with this low self-esteem and you, you just get it's a recipe for disaster. And what I'm trying to paint here is that the purpose is not to have some sort of social commentary in a way, but it's really to take a look at what's going on right now and see this is exactly why we need to be intentional, engaged parents. Because if we're not, this is what the other side of the equation looks like. This is what unintentional, disengaged, unengaged parenting looks like. These sorts of things. This is exactly what happens. You know, and it's interesting because the online world for many people starts to feel like a a minefield of potential triggers, right? You've got the comparison trap that we've already talked about, and then they, they obsessively check to see if someone liked their post, or wished them a happy birthday, or somehow acknowledged them. But you know what? If you live by the like, you die by the unfriend. You do. And this is an addictive process. They've actually already studied this. Neuroscientists have actually studied this. And there's an actual dopamine hit that's released in our brain when we get a like or some sort of acknowledgement on social media that parallels drug abuse. But the problem is, is that social media, rather than helping people feel like they have true community, it often amplifies their lonely state. And again, let me just say this again. I'm not anti-technology, but I'm very much pro-engagement, pro-conversation. Because see, the thing is, is technology can, it can, rob families of attention, communication, and a feeling of safety within the family unit. There's a book published uh, by Sherry Turkle called Alone Together. And in it, she references a study that asked parents and children for their opinions about technology. And the results of this study were absolutely jaw-dropping stunning because many children reported that they felt their parents were addicted to their phone or computer. Children stated a desire for their parents to spend quality time and to interact with them. And so the fascinating thing is this study demonstrated the need for family social interaction. And of course, there's some uh, discussion about when enough with social media use but the point is whatever it is for your family just be intentional about it now again because i'm not anti-technology i'm just pro-conversation technology can be used to keep families connected it can help members keep track of schedules their location sense of security between members that parents and or children can be reached immediately if there's there's a need for it Um, technology is also helpful for families of divorce or separation or single parents, because now you have immediate voice or face contact, in fact, there was a, a two thousand eight study published by Pew Research Center, uh, their internet American life project, and they reported that cell phones, email, and texting actually helped families compensate for the increased stress of modern life by allowing them to communicate with family members when they are apart that's fine, but you know I had the other day I, I went to a restaurant. With, uh, with my family and we're, we're talking and I was looking around at people. I always love looking at people. I can't tell you how many couples, how many families were sitting at a table with each other, not talking, but on their phones. And you know what, it was just sad. It was just sad to me because we're, we're literally, we're dying of loneliness and yet we're doing the exact opposite of what we need to do to connect. And so we need to figure out how to be truly connected with each other. We need to figure out how to be intentional and how to engage with one another because at the end of the day, our children are going to do whatever they see us doing. So it's our job, it's our responsibility to help them navigate their social interaction. I just wanna say thank you So much for listening. There are literally hundreds and thousands of podcasts out there. You chose to give us your most precious gift, your time. We are grateful for that. We never take that for granted. Check out our website, pk4l.com for more resources. And please click on the link in the show description and download your free ebook. If you haven't done so already, Building an Emotionally Safe Home is our gift to you. I'm also going to throw in uh, uh, those links to the two books, the Robert Putnam's uh, Bowling Alone book, uh, as well as... um, the Sherry Turkle book Alone Together because I think they're I think they're really good they're really good books. They're really good resources. But remember, we are with you every day, every step of the way. So until tomorrow, have a great day.